I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Let's pray together. Father, you are faithful, you are good, you are kind. Thank you for holding us fast by your grace, based upon your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. You've confirmed these truths, first in your word, and then through your Spirit who dwells within us, who bears testimony that we are your children, who cries out through us and in us, Abba, Father, thank you that you have called us sons. We were not worthy to be called your sons. But you kindly have adopted us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to humble ourselves before you this morning, that we would continue to worship you in spirit and in truth, that as we worship you in the word, you would be pleased and we would be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The world, as you know, is in a state of unrest. From 9-11, to war in the Middle East, to events like the Boston Marathon bombings, to school shootings, church shootings, murder and shootings on installations uh, across the nation, in military recruiting offices, this is just perpetually brought in our direction. Every night we can read more of these same kinds of news stories. There is no end to this unrest. The world is filled with evil and hate. We've certainly seen a national stance that calls good evil and evil good. We live in a culture that calls Bruce Jenner's transformation courageous. We have tax-subsidized businesses murdering babies and, from all indications, selling their body parts. Confusion rules the day. Darkness envelops our society. This is where we live. This is where we live. Friends, the darker the day, the brighter the light of Jesus Christ prevails. Our mission does not change. The end result of the mission will not change. We know the end of the story. God in His glory, God in His love, God in His mercy, God in His grace will reign supremely. And by His grace and due to His mercy, He brings us with Him. In this dark day, the church has been charged to be holding forth the word of life. We do not hold forth a word of hatred, bitterness, 
resentment, irritation, condemnation. We hold forth the word of life. We offer life. Peter said, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of life. And the church, friends, has the words of life. And that is what we offer week in and week out, day in and day out. The mission has not changed. We hold in our hands and we speak with our lips the word of life. In a world filled with evil, conflict, In pain, the church is called to display God's kingdom of peace. We've been talking about living for God's kingdom. And if you, if I, if we are going to live for God's kingdom, we must be displaying the fruitfulness of His rule. And we've noted from Colossians chapter 3 some necessities if we're going to live for God's kingdom. Living for God's kingdom necessitates certain things. First of all, it necessitates a special relationship with God. And he tells us that in verse 12. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, as those who God has chosen, you are holy, you are beloved. We don't have to earn our standing with God. God has already accomplished that through the Lord Jesus Christ. As those who are chosen by God, we are holy. God has changed the records. We stand in holiness. And God loves us. There's nothing that changes that. Secondly, in order for us to live for God's kingdom, it necessitates fruitfulness from God. We saw that in verse 13. uh, Excuse me, the end of verse 12. He tells us to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. So put these things on. They don't belong to you. You haven't manufactured them. You haven't perfected them. You haven't mastered them. They belong to Him. You take His truth and you put it on and His fruitfulness is on display. Thirdly, we, if we're going to live for God's kingdom, it necessitates God's abundant, God's abundant mercy. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The the mercy that we have received is the mercy that we distribute. And again, just like verse 12, when we're putting it on, that mercy doesn't belong to us. It's God's abundant mercy. And since we have received that mercy, that mercy must be channeled through us. We are an avenue whereby God demonstrates His mercy. It happens in the church and it happens outside of the church. We are to bear with one another and forgive one another. That is our responsibility. That's how we display God's kingdom. Fourthly, and this is where we'll start, but I'm going to give us the whole, all six of these, and then we're going to Go back and cover them. God's binding love. God's binding love. Now, I'm not talking about binding like putting on some shackles and now we can't move. Not that kind of binding. The binding where it takes people that are fragmented and unifies them. That kind of binding love. Verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection or the bond of completion or that which perfectly unifies us. That's the concept there. Then in verse 15, if we're going to live for God's kingdom, it necessitates God's peaceful rule. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of God, or in some translations, the peace of Christ, rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So allowing God's peaceful rule to be demonstrated. 
that must be in place in order for us to display God's kingdom. Sixthly, and we're going to cover this at the end of our time this morning, if we're going to live for God's kingdom, we must display God's enriching word. Look at verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Pause. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Pause. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So he tells us, when the Word of God dwells in us richly, and we're going to cover this, there's these results. We, in wisdom, teach and admonish one another, and with grace, sing in our hearts, and it comes out with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this is what happens. If we're going to live for God's kingdom, these things must be in place. A special relationship with God, fruitfulness from God, God's abundant mercy... God's binding love, God's peaceful rule, and God's enriching word. So we're going to pick it up with number four. We will get through four, five, and six today if I have to keep you here all day. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Just, just take a breath. It's all right. God's binding love in verse 14. Let's look there again, please. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Now, I'll tell you that the, the word above there probably is better translated, but in addition to these. But in addition to these. It's not like, okay, these are, these are good, but this is even better. It's actually what it's saying is, in addition to all these, what, what will actually unify all these and make these things all come to full fruition is when we put on love. Again, remember we're talking about something that's outside of us. We're not talking about manufacturing love, learning how to love, and then doing this love thing. We're actually saying, take the love that is God's and put it on, and it binds all of these attributes together, and it binds all of God's people together. This is the concept that he's communicating here. So in addition to all of these, put on love. We're not developing this love. We're talking about God's love. Praise God... We've already been given the avenue of this grace. When you think about God's love, you think about, okay, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were in a state of being enemies of God, God in his love says, I will die for you. That's God's love. Friends, as I've told you before, I will tell you again, that is impossible for you. It's impossible for me. I cannot, I cannot display that love. Except, except by God's grace. And we have that grace. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, God's love has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. So God has already done this. He's given us what we need. He's given us His Spirit. The first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Okay, so we have the, the availability, we have the resource, we have the grace that we need in order to display this love. We have a supernatural source for a supernatural fruit. The question we have to ask ourselves, I think it will be worth our time to consider, is what does this love look like? And everyone knows if you're talking about love and you want to know what, what love is, you have to look at the love chapter. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. It's a chapter that talks about love anyway. In 1 Corinthians 13, he gives us a detailed explanation of what God's love looks like here and among us. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4, is where he starts to give this description. In verse 4, love suffers long. I want to ask you a question. I want you to really think this through. When you think of love, do you think of suffering? That is not the way that it is viewed. If someone's you know, sweet and nice, we love them because they're pleasant to be around. They meet my needs and therefore I will, I will meet their needs. That's the give me, give me, I'll give you, give you kind of love. But the Bible says love suffers long. And is kind. Love does not envy. What is envy? Oh, I see you have this thing. I see you have this one. I see you have this peace. I see you have this way. I see you have this blessing. And I want what you have. Envy. Oh, I, I, I wish my husband would be like your husband. I wish my wife would be like your wife. I wish my kids would act like your kids. Anyone? Envy? Is that love? No, that's not love. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Look at what I have. Look at what I've accomplished. That's not love. He goes on. Love is not puffed up. Similar concept. Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Meditate on that one. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures almost anything. Oh, I'll I'll endure up to this point. Cross this line another time, and that's going to be the end of it. Not funny, is it? Because this is the love we see. This is the love we see. Verse 8. Will you read it with me, please? Just the first three words. Love never fails. You could read that, love never stops. If your love stops, it's not God's love. If the love that you're putting on says, you know what, I'll love you until you do this, that's not God's love. Listen, we live in a world that has fouled up love. I'm going to read to you a portion of a graduation speech from 2007 by Dr. Robert Michaels. He writes, When you leave this school and go on to bigger and better things, and your life becomes the life of an adult with adult ideas about social justice, and you have to have that inner peace, the kind of tranquility of mind where you can say, I don't care if you're black, white, straight, bisexual, gay, lesbian, short, 
tall, fat, skinny, rich, or poor. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You will find that the difference between a happy life and a life of bitterness and struggle can be as simple as that, my friends. And that is a lesson I will leave you with today. This quote became popular and attributed to the rapper Eminem. It's been tweeted and and Facebooked. It's all over the place. And here's what this is attributed as. I don't care if you're black, white, uh, straight, bisexual, gay, lesbian, short, tall, fat, skinny, rich, or poor. If you are nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Simple as that. What a nice sentiment. You're nice to me. I'll be nice to you. We're good. That, friends, is not love. That's what love has been redefined as. See, real love, ready? Loves. And it doesn't stop. Take a look with me at uh, Romans chapter 13, please. God's love looks, and when you read it, 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 it produces sentiment, sentimental feelings within us. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, you kind of get those warm fuzzies inside. It's like, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be. And then you're driving down the street and your wife says, whatever. And the warm fuzzies go away. But that, that doesn't redefine what love is or isn't. You see, in Romans chapter 13, what God's word is going to tell us is that God's love, working through his people, fulfills the law. Fulfills the law. Oh, what do you mean? Well, let's look here and, and let's, let's kind of try to understand this. Romans 13, beginning in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. This is good. He goes on and says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This is so wonderfully written, isn't it? And if you really want to have a a sense of how it feels and what it means, Paul has communicated about that as well. He, He takes what he's written here, and he expands on it a little bit in Galatians chapter 6. You need to turn there. In Galatians 6, he tells us in verse 1, if, you, um, if, if a, a brother is overtaken in any trespasses, in any trespass, any sin, not just like you know, the, the little sins, it says any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, And then he he brings down uh, the connection between Romans 13 and this context. He says in uh, Galatians 6, 2, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now the context of those burdens is transgression. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Bear one another's burdens. Burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. 
So it's easy to subscribe to these kinds of things in the abstract. Okay, God's love, we want to put God's love on. God's love is kind. God's love is long-suffering. God's love doesn't stop. We, we know all of these things. And, and in abstract, they sound really good until we actually have to deal with the mess. Then your, your friend is, is involved in trespass. And it's not the, they said the wrong thing at the wrong time kind of trespass. It's they, they did something egregious. They did something reprehensible to you. They, they have offended you deeply by their actions. They have, they have cut off, for all intents and purposes from a human perspective, any possibility of a future relationship with their actions. And then we ignore a passage like this. Then we say, you know what? There's only so much of a punching bag I'm going to be. How long am I going to let them walk on me? How long? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Are you going to leave this, this poor sinner in the ditch? Or are you going to be like the good Samaritan who comes along and says, hey, listen, you need some help. I'm here to help. Your offense was against God first. I've been affected by it. But I want to see you where God wants to see you. I want to see you in a right relationship with Him. This is real love. Real love binds us together. It doesn't drive us apart. Love is the supreme Christian virtue. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love... These abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Well, there's a reason for that. Because faith will be ended, right? We're gonna, we won't have to trust God when He's in our presence or when we're in His presence, right? Hope will be realized. It'll come to an end. But, but love just persists. It, it never stops. It is, it's the constant. Love doesn't stop. It's the greatest. Our relationship with Jesus Christ produces a unity like nothing else. Take a look at Colossians again now. We're heading back to our home base here, Colossians chapter 2. Remember what we're talking about. We're talking about, we've got corruption and all kinds of hatred and evil in the world, right? And here we are, a people that are called out of the world into the body of Christ. He's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And what He wants us to do in the midst of darkness is to hold forth the word of life. Not to be bitter and resentful and, and spewing out critiques of the world. Think about it. What do you expect? You've got a whole bunch of sinners legislating justice in this country. You expect them to make good choices. Hmm? Probably not. Probably not. If you and I were unredeemed and without Christ, without the Spirit of God, without the guiding Word of God, we would make the same foolish choices. We don't look to the government to solve our problems. We have the solution to our problems. So here we are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And God wants us to hold forth the light of life. And part of the way we do that, that we let God's kingdom in this crooked, perverse generation, the way we allow God's kingdom to be displayed is as we demonstrate God's binding love. A love that unifies people from all walks of life, with all kinds of backgrounds, with all kinds of baggage, with all kinds of things that have happened in our lives. And God joins us together. It's quite a marvelous thing, isn't it? Here we are in Colossians 2. Take a look beginning in verse 1. 
He says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, those that haven't seen us. I want these people to look on and that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Knit together. What does that mean? Well, you take two pieces, you sold them together, there they are. They used to be separate, now they're together, they're knit together, they're bound. They're bound. This is what love is supposed to do. This is what love, this is what real love does. That's what he tells us here back in Colossians 3. Take a look again at verse 14. Colossians 3, 14. In addition to all these, put on love, God's love, agape love, which is the bond, the bond of perfection, the bond of completion, the bond that, that brings us together. That's the concept. So he tells us to put on God's love, and the result of that is a unified body. If we're going to shine as lights in this world, we can't be fighting with one another. Right? About the color of the carpet, about what the floor looks like, about the kind of ugly things that hold... I'm sorry. Just using an illustration, my, my lovely friend... We can't, we can't be fighting about things like this. These, these things come and go. The world's passing away. The will of God? That's not passing away. So we're bound together in love. That is what demonstrates Christ. And so we want to demonstrate that kingdom. We must demonstrate God's binding love. Secondly, fifthly in the outline, but secondly for today, God's peaceful rule. Now this is, this is sweet. Because, again, we, we live in a world filled with conflict. A- anyone seen any conflict lately? I was coming out of uh, Cumberland Farms. It was yesterday the day before, I don't remember. Coming out of Cumberland Farms. And there's a, a set, of, set of lights, four-way intersection. And this dude, he was bent. He was bent. Someone didn't go fast enough out of, out of the red light, so he was stuck at the red light. How long a red light is? It's probably what? Two, three minutes? The whole time. Then it turns red, uh, excuse me, turns green, and he comes out and, and, you know, the gestures and, you know, doing all kinds of things at the person. Like, he, he, like literally, his, his progress was stopped at the light, and he's in a hurry, and then, like, he decides to stop while the person's going up the, the on-ramp to, to slow his progress some more, so he can let the person know how he really feels about this. You go a little further down the street, and he starts on the next person. And this is... This is, we see it every single day. And those are just little silly things. Did you know that the world's at war? Did you know that you know, there were people probably dying? We're worried about a red light. Really? There's real problems. And we're frustrated about these things. And here, God says to you and to me, let the peace of Christ Rule in your heart. The word rule there means to umpire. It means to umpire. To, to say, okay, this is, this is the right way to go. This is, the right, this is an out. This, this is safe. This is a strike. That's the ball. To, to make decisions. 
really has the idea of, of kingdom rulership, right? This is the right way to go. And so he says, let God's peace rule you. Well, that of necessity causes us to say, well, what is that peace? And so we're going we're gonna to think about that for a few minutes here. Take a look at Isaiah 32 for a moment. Isaiah 32. We must understand God's peace to an extent to, to really gather this. Remember, it's not our peace ruling. It's not learn how to be a peaceful person, as wonderful as that would be. It's to allow God's peace, the God of peace, the peace of Christ, the peace that belongs to God, let that rule in you. So what is God's peace? Well, it's absence of war, sure. That's a good, acceptable definition. It's just not thorough enough. Peace is is wholeness. God's shalom, Old Testament word, is wholeness or restoration. It's a state of contentment and tranquility. So God's peace is one that says there's something broken and now it's, it needs to be fixed. And, and the, the peace is that fixing of it. It's the tranquil state that results from the, the restoration. And just a, a couple of illustrations here in Isaiah. Both, both of these illustrations will be from the book of Isaiah. As we talk about God's future kingdom that will be visible and, and very, very much seen and there's no getting away from it. Now we're talking about a kingdom that we want God's kingdom that is in heaven to be displayed here. Now, the one spoken of here in Isaiah is one that will be absolutely on display and indisputable. Isaiah 32, beginning in verse 16. Then, when these things take place, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be what? Wholeness, restoration, soundness, tranquility. And the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Are you sensing what he's saying about his shalom? It's one of restoration, it's one of wholeness, it's one of quietness and tranquility. This is the kind of peace that he's talking about. Take a look at Isaiah 19. What's interesting is that God issues this peace to His people in Isaiah 32. That's easy to, to see. Okay? We're, we're familiar with how God deals with you know, the, the chosen nation of Israel. But here as we look in Isaiah 19, we're going to see Him issuing peace, and it's going to be among the nations. Isaiah 19, look at verse 24 please. In that day, again, he's referencing the future. In that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria. <laughs> that, you know what? That's like saying, okay, we've got Israel, right? And, and we have, what's the best illustration of this? Who's, who's, who's against Israel? Anyone? Anyone? Name all of them in the Middle East, right? But how about the Palestinians in the, in the Gaza Strip? What is being said here in Isaiah 19 is, is akin. It's, it's alike saying, the Palestinians and the Israelis are one of three, and they're, and they're bound together. It says, 
the, the Egyptians and the Assyrians a blessing in the midst of the land, verse 24, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Israel, Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. You see what God just did in Isaiah 19? He says, look at these people that are at enmity. I'm taking these three, and I'm grouping them all into one. They're all mine. They're all at peace. They're all together. Taking that which is broken and making it sound. This, friends, is God's peace. We have testament to this in the book of Revelation, in verse uh, chapter 5 and verse 9, where the Bible says this, And they, all of God's people, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Friends, that's God's peace. One that says, I don't care what your origin is. I don't care what your background is. It's a peace that takes people that are distinct and different and brings them into wholeness and soundness. This is what happens to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's important to note that peace flows from God. God is the source of peace. And one of Jesus' parting promises to His disciples... When he was leaving, he said this in John 14, beginning in verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Listen. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I am giving you peace. In what form? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is that form of peace. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So here we are. We live in a world that is conflicted. We live in a world that is strained. They strain about Lights, they strain about skin color, right? They strain about flags. They strain about gender. They strain about sexuality. Strain about all kinds of... There's always something going on, some conflict. The Spirit brings peace. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, in and out of the church, God brings peace. He says that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God's Spirit's peace. The demonstration of this peace comes as the church displays itself as a peacemaking entity. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Peace. Peace. And peacemakers. We're called to be at peace among ourselves. Head back to Colossians 3, please. Colossians 3. God's kingdom brings peace. 
as we demonstrate God's kingdom, it will be peace that that is issued. Colossians 3 and verse 15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. We've been called to this kind of peace, which can only be produced by God through His Spirit. This peace produces unity in the body, peacemaking in the world, and thanksgiving in our corporate assembling. We want to live for God's kingdom. Don't you? Listen, you, you've lived for your kingdom in the past. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't yield anything good. It doesn't. It's, it really brings forth frustration. There are little, little, little happy times, right, when we live for our kingdom. Happy times, but a lot of other, right? Living for God's kingdom is totally different than that. It is always satisfying. You never find yourself thirsty for more when you are living for God's kingdom. You never find yourself hungering for more when you're living for God's kingdom. It, it really is quite satisfying. It's the peace that comes from him. So living for God's kingdom necessitates a special relationship with God, fruitfulness from God, God's abundant mercy, God's binding love, God's peaceful rule. These we've all we've seen. Now as we conclude in the next few minutes, one more for today, God's enriching word. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly is in abundance. In abundance. Let God's word occupy your spirit. Let God's word fill your soul. Is really the idea. It's, it's this abundance of God's word. And so, again, we ask ourselves the question, why would we want this? Why do we want God's love? What is it like? Why do we want God's peace? What is it like? Why do we want God's word? What is it like? What is God's word going to do for me that necessitates me saying, hey, I want this in abundance? Well, let's just consider this for a second. The word of God produces salvation. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul reminds Timothy, From a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which have made you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation. Anyone want any of that? What is salvation? Well, God saving us from ourselves. From our sin and the consequences for our sin. Remember the wages of sin is death. Well, everybody dies. So am I going to make me not die? We're not talking about Physical death, we're talking about spiritual death, separation from God forever. In eternal hell, the wages of sin is death. But salvation is God saying, I'm going to take you from that consequence, that condemnation that is rightly yours because of your sin, and I'm going to take you and rescue you out of it, I'm going to place you into my kingdom, which is other than, other than condemnation. It's glorification. Other than misery. It's joy. Other than hate, it's love. Other than evil, it's holy. It's perfect and pure in every way. That's what salvation is. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So salvation comes from God's word. The gospel is issued. People respond in faith. Salvation. 
God's word brings salvation. This is a reason to have it in our, with abundance. How about this? The word of Christ produces maturity. Remember Paul said to the Ephesian elders, hey listen, I commend you to the word of God's grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, it builds you up. It makes, makes you mature. It makes you like Christ. Why do I want the word of Christ in abundance? It makes me like Christ. There's nothing better than that. Why do I want the word of God in abundance? The word of God produces wisdom. The Bible says that the word of God in Psalm 19 makes wise the simple. Makes those who were simple wise. That's good motivation. I need some wisdom, don't you? Why else? The word of God produces restoration. It produces restoration. You know, I really love this in Psalm 19. It, it talks about converting the soul. Converting the soul. Now, that's not talking about salvation. We, the, the word convert does, but that's not the right word. Bad translation. It really should be rendered restoring the soul. The same Hebrew word, converting, the same Hebrew word is used in Psalm 23. Remember? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. The word of God restores my soul. The way Paul says it, he renews my mind. See, listen, you go through life, and you meet those people at the red light. You meet them at, you meet them at work. You meet them at the grocery store when they smash their carriage into you or they try to run so they can get into the, 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 aisle, the, the checkout counter before you. All these you know, kind of dumb little things that happen. You meet them all over the place, right? And you and I get frustrated because we're human, right? There are times we don't respond well to people flipping us off on the road. There, there are times we don't respond very well to our, to our wife being irritable with us or our husband being irritable with us or our children not responding to us. We get frustrated, right? Don't you? The Word of God restores the soul. We need it, friends. The Word of Christ must dwell in us richly, in abundance, so that when we find ourselves in those situations, we don't say, hey, listen, it's my right to be angry. We see our anger and we say, This was an opportunity. This conflict was an opportunity for me to display Christ. And instead, here I am displaying Rob. You fool. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I need your help. I want to display you. I want to display your kingdom. The word of God, it it points these things out in our lives. It doesn't let us be satisfied with our own human justification for our own human wretchedness. We must allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, or we will go on along our merry way, living as we think we can, feeling fine and justified in all of our actions, all of our thoughts, all of our misery, living living like the Gentiles do in the lusts of our minds, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, even though we've been redeemed. That happens, doesn't it? The word of Christ, when it dwells in us richly, 
It says, look at what you're doing. And you say, you're right. You're right. I'm wrong. I, I recognize my sinfulness. I confess my sinfulness. And I ask God, and I know he'll fulfill this request. Fill me with your spirit that I might display you, your glory, and your kingdom. So we, we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly because it has these benefits. Here in Colossians 3.16, it gives us a, a, a few benefits. Two, two specifically, it produces teaching and admonishing in all wisdom. It also produces singing with grace in our hearts through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What's very interesting and very important to note is that there's a parallel text to this. We're in Colossians 3, 15 and 16. Let the peace of Christ dwell in you. Or let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And, and, it, and it calls you into one body and be thankful. And then it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. Lord, we, we, we know this. It's, 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 it's like we hear it and we, we understand it. And the parallel text is Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, which says, and do not be drunk with wine or in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, the results of being filled with the Spirit are the exact same results that are being spoken of here in Colossians 3. Because the, the Word and the Spirit are the graces that God has given us so that we can display His kingdom here and now. The Word of God and the Spirit of God dwelling in us richly, filling us, guiding us, ruling in us. That is what God has given us. It's a grace from God that we might display Him and His kingdom, and His kindness, and His love, and His mercy, His truth. He's given us these things. These are interrelated, both word and spirit. They're both grace gifts to the church. Listen carefully, please. Attempting to fulfill the demands of the word without the grace that meets those demands is foolish fleshly and failing. Listen, you're here today, so I, I, have a, I, have a, I have a hunch that you came because you wanted to live for God's kingdom, right? If that's true of you, you want to live for God's kingdom, the only way it's going to happen, friends, is a surrender to the Word and a surrender to the Spirit. These graces will take you from foolishness to wisdom, from fleshly to spiritual, from failing to demonstrating God's victory. When we allow the Spirit of God to produce fruit among us, we're truly putting God on display. We're allowing God's kingdom to be seen here in this world. The next section we're going to get to next week deals with the application of this and how, how we take the, the kingdom truths and it's displayed in our homes and in our workplaces. You see, we live in a world that's filled with hate. But God's kingdom is filled with love. We live in a world that is filled with conflict but God's kingdom brings peace. We live in a world that is filled with destruction. 
destroying the most helpless, murdering babies. We live in a world filled with destruction. But God's kingdom brings enrichment. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out which of these kingdoms we should live for. The one filled with hate, conflict, and destruction? No one, no one would say, hey, I, sign me up, pal. Or we can live for the one that's filled with love, peace, and grace. We need God's grace that we might display these things. Let's take a moment, quietly, in our seats. I don't know what business you need to do with the Lord. I don't know if you are one of God's children, you're part of the kingdom or not part of the kingdom. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I I have a suggestion for you. He paid the price for all your sin. Call out upon Him for salvation. He'll take your sin. He'll give you His righteousness. You'll be one of God's children. You'll be a part of this kingdom forever. God will make you new. If you're a believer, just meditate through these things, asking God that you, individually, and we, corporately, would be those who display God's kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your spirit who cries out from us that you are our Father, that we have this intimate relationship with you because of our union with Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have called us out of darkness and confusion and evil and placed us into your kingdom, which is none of these. We ask that you would help us, that we would set our own agenda aside, that the true beauty of your goodness, the true beauty of your kingdom, would be displayed in us individually and even brighter corporately, that this would be a place where people see peace and experience wholeness and restoration that comes from you, that people would recognize that your love has bound us together in a place where the word of God is served up, that it might dwell in us richly, That as the word abounds in us, we would truly teach and admonish in wisdom. And that your grace would be the movement and motivation of our song. That it would issue forth in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That you would be glorified. That Jesus Christ would be magnified that the Spirit of God would do His work of regenerating, restoring, renewing, that we might leave this place each time invigorated, empowered with grace, 
to display your goodness, your grace in a world filled with everything but. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.